Welcome to episode 5 of Yo MPG Taps. Yeah, boy! <laughs> Coming uh, to you live from Rosedale Park once again, because we're special. That's right, there's uh, some kids in the background, so if you hear kids in the background, that's because there's kids in the background. Danny, look at this big slide! So anyway, the big news for, uh, for this past weekend was Worlds, of course. Hope you didn't forget to watch some of the coverage, or at least read along, follow along, whatever you could do. Um, if you had internet. Yeah, I did not. I, I had internet briefly, um, but even then, it was like, upgrade your Flash player. And I was like, I'm too lazy to click something, so no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so the big the big winners this weekend were uh, China. They won the team competition, um, and Austria was in the finals against them. Um, they got beat out. I, it was two matches... Two matches to one, obviously. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't two matches to one. Two matches to zero. See, I was telling Joe earlier, uh, with the team competition, I didn't. I don't think I knew this, or if I did, I forgot. Um, Joe didn't know this. I've never watched the team finals uh, before. So what it is, it's three players, three formats. They're all playing simultaneously. There's you know, a standard match, a legacy match, and an extended match. Uh, what ended up happening was the legacy match and the extended match finished before the standard matchup could even get to Game 3. China won the Legacy and the Extended, and uh, the standard match never actually got to finish. Although I was really interested in the outcome of that match because the, the matchup was Jund, played by China, and um, a blue-red-white control deck, very similar to the one I've been running in the hands of the Austrians. And the uh, I think Jund took Game 1, Red, white, blue control took game two, and I really wanted to see game three. Um, it didn't happen, so yeah. played out. It was really interesting. Uh, this is actually available for download on the main Wizards site if you'd like to watch the, the matchup. Um, they kind of switch back and forth between which game they're watching, which is a little bit, a little bit frustrating when you're watching and, and you kind of, you're interested in one match and they go to a different one or they, uh, they focus on another one other than the one you want to see. It's like the Nirvana Live Tonight sold out video. Like I'm getting into one performance that they're doing and then they cut to a different performance halfway through the song. I'm sure that's what everybody was thinking. Of exactly course. that way. I know, because <laughs> everyone thinks exactly like us, I guess. So, uh, yeah, so what, what ended up happening was what I got to see and what you got to see if you were watching the coverage was the uh, game two of the standard matchup and the b control player sided in spreading seas which completely shut down the red mana of the Jun deck. The Jun player was sitting there with like blightnings in his hand. He finally was able to drop a mountain blightning and then I think th the following turn again another spreading seas came down to shut that one off. So uh, it, it was really neat to see how that that tech works. Um, I've been hearing about that for a while. Or I guess a couple of weeks. People have been saying like spreading seas and convincing mirage, both of which are just um, enchantments or auras, which enchant lands, uh, turning them into islands or any basic land of your choice. I believe um, spreading spreading, spreading seas, seas islands right and, and convincing mirage exactly. Uh, spreading seas is a cantrip. Convincing Mirage is not, but you can choose any land type, which I guess is good if you're playing against a deck that requires blue mana. 
so you can actually change it into something else. But it's essentially like a land destruction spell, even though it's not destroying the land, it's just shutting off the, uh, the access to a certain color. And in the current standard, there's so many multicolored decks that it's actually having uh, some good success. Um, speaking of which, uh, Jerry Thompson did a video deck tech on a deck he called Spread'em, which main decks four of each of those enchantments. Essentially, red-white-blue control. Um, actually, no, he, he played Bloodbraid Elf and Captured Sunlight in that deck, too, so it was kind of a Cascade deck. Cascade control into spreading seas and uh <laughs> wow that's really really neat that's um, neat yeah i have to look into that that's yeah you should watch the video deck tech um it's available again on the on the main site there's uh, a lot of great coverage a lot of video available for download on the on the main wizards website magicthegathering.com or if you want to skip all the fancy flash animation which takes too long to load and is a little annoying uh just go to dailymtg.com uh, that takes you directly to the the news site. The important stuff. Yeah. Um, also, the the tournament coverage you can type in sideboard.com. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize all these shortcuts. I'm always I'm always going magicthegathering.com and then <laughs> clicking through everything. So that's helpful. Yeah, definitely. Don't do that. For one, it's a longer domain name. Yeah, no. Like I was <laughs> like Tim, you're so smart. You type in wizards.com/slash/magic. So. Um, now we just we talked about the team finals, but we didn't talk about the individual uh, finals. Andre Coimbra is the world champion for 2009. He won playing a deck designed by Michael J. Flores, deck called Naya Lightsaber, which we mentioned. I swear we're going to get week. our Flores percentage down at some point. <laughs> but uh, hey, you know, if his deck wins worlds, I guess we have to make an exception, huh? I guess we do. <laughs> he actually tweeted to me this morning uh, about. He said, "I hope your topics are once again." Heavily laden with five with Flores. <laughs> well, I'm glad he's. I'm glad he's not like. Why don't people just go to my site instead of listening to YoMTG Taps? Then, <laughs> if he's just gonna <laughs> review our site the whole podcast, which I, you know, I mean, you know, if he's making the relevant decks, we're gonna talk about the relevant decks, I guess. That's you know? true. So yeah, so the finals was Andre Coimbra versus uh, Jund with Master of the Hunt as the you know, the tech of the day, I guess. Uh, Plenty of players actually were Did playing. Did you say Master of the Hunt? It's actually Master of the Wild Hunt. I'm sorry. It is Master of the Wild Hunt. So yeah, Master of the Wild Hunt was the tech of the of the weekend for the Jun players. Uh, although Japan was playing Siege Gang Commander, a lot of players seemed to be cutting Putrid Leech from their deck because of its vulnerability to Celestial Purge um, and things with prote- uh, protection from black, like mm-hmm. White Knight. Um, Devout what, Lightcaster. Exactly. So kind of trying to beat the hate, I suppose. Uh, Flash Freeze still is pretty good hate, though, I'd Flash say. Flash Freeze, yes. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been, like, that's always, that's been my thing, is, like, how many Jun decks run a mono-black spell? You or, know what I mean? Like, it, Flash Freeze is pretty much counterspell when you're playing against Jun. Right, and you're not the only one who thinks that anymore. There's been plenty of, uh, of people mentioning Flash Freeze. It's at least showing up in sideboards, and I know in Joel right. Calafell's deck, it was there was four of a main deck. Yeah, that's, um, not, that's interesting. I think that's a good idea. I mean, people are playing Celestial Purge main deck. Right. Uh, Flash Freeze seems I, almost just as good, if not better, because Celestial Purge, a lot of people were main decking that because of uh, not only Jun, but Vampires. Vampire seems like it's not being played as much, although, although yeah. apparently there was an undefeated Vampire's list on day one. So, you know, don't forget about it entirely. Yeah, um, don't count it out, because once, once you 
start discrediting it, it'll come back with a vengeance, I think. Right. To see what Worldwake has to offer. I'm interested. I, I, I'm really... I'm just going to go off for a second here. Go ahead, go ahead. Worldwake, I'm really excited about because I feel like Zendikar, with them having two sets to complete their thought, I guess, with the Zendikar theme, <laughs> I really feel like Zendikar is such a complete set like it's really tight you know what i mean like like the the themes that they were looking to explore i feel like they've explored them all really well like i can't imagine where it's going to go from here you know so i'm really anticipating to see how they finish their thought because it seems like a complete thought already i don't know do you agree to say i absolutely agree it's funny that you say that because i don't think i've ever i've mentioned this in conversation or anything but i feel like i'm almost forgetting that another set is about to come out exactly because zendikar just seems like it's complete yeah uh, like you said exactly right yeah Uh, for some reason like even though i'm well aware that world wake is coming and rise of the eldrazi is coming i'm not looking forward as much as not not in in a bad way what i mean is a lot of times I'm just like playing decks and going, oh, I have to wait to see what I'm getting from this. Oh, let me see what I'm getting from this next set. I wonder what I'm going to get. But right now it's like, what do I have right now? I'm, it's kind of the first time I feel like I'm actually focusing on the cards available rather than the possibilities in some unknown future set that's you know coming up pretty soon. I mean, Thanksgiving is this week, and that shocks me. <laughs> so, right. I mean... Wow, time just goes by pretty fast. So, you know, pretty soon we'll be playing World Wake, um, and I'll be playing it on the Magic Cruise, actually, the release event. Uh, if anybody else out there is going on the Magic Cruise, please email us, because I'd definitely like to meet some listeners. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll have to mention this in some future podcasts, um, see if see if some more people... Generate some more interest in right. it, yeah. Right, well, I don't know if it's closed, you know, if, if you're allowed to sign up for it anymore. I think the deadline was, like, mid-October. But I guess I'm not the the person who has that answer. What you can do if you're actually interested in going on the Magic Cruise, it's next February, the 7th through the 13th. You can find out more information on legionevents.com. The cruise is called the MC2 Cruise. I think it's just Magic Cruise 2. So, yeah, you should be able to find information on there if you're interested. But, uh, yeah, so the release event is going to be held on the cruise ship, which is pretty awesome. And Yo MTG Taps will be there to cover it. That's right. At least I will be. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's right. I'll, I'll, I'm going to get you're some our interviews. Delegation. You're, you're, you're our delegate. Right. So, yeah, uh, LSV is going to be on there. Louis Scott Vargas. Evan Irwin. Uh, Evan Irwin, if it seems like you want to have a good time on a cruise, it seems like Evan Irwin would be the guy to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, him and Pat Chapin. Some of the footage from last year's cruise was pretty interesting. Um, is Pat going to be there this year? I don't know. I haven't seen any... Uh, any word about it, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'd actually be more surprised if he wasn't there, Fair um, enough, yeah. based on the things he wrote about it and said about it and uh, the like footage good, that I've seen. Sounds like a good time to me. Actually, even if you're interested in seeing the footage from last year's cruise, go to youtube.com slash Guy. That's M-R, Orange Guy. That's Evan Irwin's um, YouTube channel. I'm not sure which episode it is, but it would be from last February. Right, Just take a look, February 2008, um, and I'm sure he titled it, you know, something to do with the Magic Cruise. So uh, check that out. So, yeah, we kind of went on a tangent there. But uh, it was a beautiful little tangent. That's true. I definitely wanted to mention about the Magic Cruise. I know. I'm surprised you hadn't mentioned it. I, I think I it's been on the lists. Yeah. <laughs> it's been on our, on our episode guide, like, thing. So we, I just want to talk a little bit about the finals. I didn't get to watch it yet live. I was watching a lot of it live yesterday morning, but once it got to the point where it was the finals, um, 
my girlfriend woke up and I went to get coffee and I missed the the actual finals match. I did see game one, but what ended up happening was uh, Nia Lightsaber swept John 3-0 in the finals. Uh, not what Nia Lightsaber is, again, we did mention it last week, but it's essentially uh, a Nia deck with Baneslayer Angels. Uh, isn't it pretty similar to Kibler's List? It is. It was based off of Kibler's, or the idea was based off of Kibler's extended winning list, uh, Ruben Zoo, uh, taking basically the, one of the faster decks in extended and making it uh, a little stronger in the mid-game, a little weaker in the early game. Um, essentially, Mike Flores took that strategy and applied it to Naya in standard. And although in the coverage, if you watch it or if you if you read about it, it seems like they keep sa- saying things that Mike designed this deck specifically to beat Jund. Like, I think they've said it, they said it multiple times. He didn't design it specifically to meet Jund as far as I know, as far as from what I read. Um, he just designed a deck that was good, and it happened to be good against Jund. Right. Um, and... Believe it or not, he actually tweeted as much last night, which I was like, okay, good, I didn't I didn't get that wrong. So uh, the Naya Lightsaber deck has Baneslayer Angel, Bloodbraid Elf, Noble Hierarch, Ranger of Eos, Wild Nakatl, Wooly Thoktar, Ajani Vengeant, Lightning Bolt, Path to Exile, and one Scoot Mob to search up with Ranger of Eos. Did you say um, Lotus Cobra? I did not say Lotus Sweet. Cobra. I just I traded my say... Cobras to finish off my set of Baneslayers the other day. <laughs> So that's that's some uh, that's some lovely news. There you go. What were you gonna say? You also didn't say. Uh, oh, uh, I also didn't say Knight of the Reliquary, which I for some huh. reason thought was in the deck, but no, because there's only four fetch lines in the deck, which right. four arid maces. Um, so it's not getting the advantage that it could have in some other decks with more fetch lines. Interesting thing is Coimbra took this list, and it is a 75 card copy of Flores's list. Sweet. He didn't change a card, not the sideboard, not not the, anything. So I thought that was pretty interesting too. I think usually with deck lists, people tend to think, tend to look at them and, and say, okay, maybe I don't agree with this, but I think it could use more of this. You know, he didn't do that. He took the list straight off fivewithflores.com or from whoever you know. Someone obviously got it from Flores. To the guy who I was talking to at F and M, who was trying to discredit Mike Flores as a relevant deck builder. Two days later, Mike Flores' clone list wins worlds. Yeah. So, yeah. What was the comment? What did he say? He said something like, oh, Mike Flores, you mean the guy who uh, who made a relevant deck two seasons ago and is trying to ride the coattails of that success or something like It was something like that. Yeah, like you're right. saying no, that he built that. one relevant deck and then was kind of piggybacking off of it to to try to appear to stay relevant or something like that. Right. Yeah. Well, that guy's an idiot now. Uh, well, he was an I idiot then too. He was an idiot to begin with. But um, I'm sure Mike can handle the criticism because I'm sure there's. <laughs> I mean, especially considering his deck just won worlds. Yeah. Um, just brush his shoulder off, homie. It's all right. good. Um. So let's see. So some of the other. Interesting decks from Worlds. Actually, the news from day one of Worlds, which was standard, was that Charles Gindy of the USA, the national champion this year, got disqualified. I don't know if you knew that. I heard a little bit about that, and I know I saw your tweets about it, and then your my take back, your take back <laughs> of the tweet. I, because when I first heard it, I heard just the vague kind of general information. Charles Gindy DQ'd due to fraud. 
Um, Master of the Wild Hunt, right? It had something to do with Master of the Wild Hunt, uh, which I'll explain in a sec. But um, when I hear that, I'm like, fraud. That sounds like something pretty blatant. And it I was like, like federal like, crime. Yeah, it sounds pretty, <laughs> pretty hardcore. So I'm like, I've just lost all respect for this guy because not only did he... I, I wouldn't have cared so much if it was just him that got disqualified, but it disqualified Team USA from competing in the team competition. Ugh. And uh, I think that's... I, I don't know... I mean, I understand sort of the idea behind the rules that make that the situation, but I don't really think... I think that needs to be looked at. That's not really fair to the other two competitors who did absolutely nothing wrong. One guy gets DQ'd, and there's an alternate. Brad Nelson was the alternate. Right. And he was there at Worlds. When, when, when let's, let's compare it with basketball. When a player gets two technical fouls and they're kicked out of a basketball game, there's a bench player who's allowed to come in and take over. Right. You know? I, I mean, mean in, in anything. Well, well, not in soccer. In, really? In soccer, in the whole soccer, team is disqualified No, 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 no not the whole team. You're right. I mean. See, that's the point. Like, in soccer... When somebody gets a red card, that team just plays down a player the rest of the game. Okay, and even if that would have been better, now not that right. they would have had much of a just chance. Just a match, match loss, Right. the other team keeps would've... going, or, or like they're playing at a one-match loss the whole thing, or, or maybe just for that one round, and then you know next round they get their alternate in. It seems right. like a really unnecessarily harsh rule. I, exactly. I'm, I'm looking at it from the perspective of if Gindy did something completely blatantly fraudulent and cheated, and he's DQ'd, I still don't think that the other two players should suffer for that. And the other two players in this case were Todd Anderson and Adam Yurchik. Um, Todd Anderson actually top-aided the Nashville 5K with Aldrazi Green a couple weeks ago. His wife was the one who won it. Right. Um, but, I mean, so obviously... Then they play you know, each other in, like, the quarterfinal? He, that's right. Uh, Todd and his wife played each other. His wife, Callie. In the semifinal, right? Um, a quarterfinal, top semifinal, four. somewhere around there. I, I can't remember. In the top eight, they played. Right. Um, that's pretty great. It, it's pretty awesome. Um, but anyway, my point is that I, I think this rule needs to... There needs to be something here because I don't think that's right at all for an entire team to be disqualified. The I think the idea behind it is that... A team can go in with the strategy, we'll all cheat, try not to get caught. If one of us gets caught, we get the alternate in. To, you know what I mean? Like, let's let's all just cheat, and if, if one of us gets caught, that way we get an alternate. It's like it's like a free chance to cheat. Well, if everyone that, on ridiculous. the team wants to cheat at once, like, they shouldn't be in the team play anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like... Well, I'm. you know what I'm saying? Like, the point is, they get if they get an alternate, if they get one free strike to have somebody get caught at cheating and have another player replace them and then they can stop cheating from there, then that means they can just keep trying to get away with it and if they keep getting away with it, then they've obviously gotten away with cheating. I, it, I, that's the idea I'm right. saying. I'm just telling you, at least from what I understand, from what I've read, um, I, I can kind of see the logic in that, but I feel like the alternative is worse. I feel like disqualifying an entire team because of one player... It's just wrong. I agree. I, I, I want to just say something about cheating at Magic in general. Me and Joe have been playing Magic for 14 years, okay? In that time, we have probably played maybe a thousand games over the phone. <laughs> That's All right? right. Joe lived in Texas for a while. That, that was the only way we could play. 
so we just had to trust the other person. And, and what we used to do it all the time anyway, when like we didn't feel like leaving the house or something, yeah. we just wanted to play. <laughs> and we didn't have a magic workstation, or you just didn't have the internet or a computer or something like that. Something like that. So the point is, no matter how much money is at stake, magic is a game. Okay, it's a game. It's meant for fun. It's meant for entertainment. Yes, it can get competitive, you know, but it's a game. Like, why would you ever cheat at something that... How is that more fun than playing, just playing cards? I guess people will cheat, you know, I understand. How do cheaters... It's it's stupid and it's... It's pitiful. How do cheaters get to be pro players? I mean, and how does it go so un? How does it go unchecked for so long that people can get away with cheating enough to make it profitable to cheat? Don't you feel like that is some sort of flaw in like the judging structure, maybe, or in the rules structure? I don't understand it. I don't understand how people can cheat. So much. I'm not saying, I'm not talking right. about Gindy here, I'm not talking about anyone in particular. But I'm saying, like, how can cheating be so alluring and so profitable that someone would do it enough and, and you know, dedicate their time playing magic to finding out ways to cheat at magic? Doesn't that seem like the, you're cheating yourself? Well, there's a couple things here. Like, one, I guess it's it's possible that a player isn't a cheater, but once he gets in a situation where there's more at stake, he decides to try to get that edge where he can. And um, It's like steroids in baseball, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess that, that's true. But, um, you make it all the way there without, you know, like, like A-Rod, you know, made it all the way to the big leagues, got the MVP award, all without using steroids. He was already hugely successful. He had just signed a $250 million contract and then decided to start cheating. Right, so it's a similar... It could be a similar thing. If you're Um, already on the Pro Tour, I mean, isn't that awesome? Like, shouldn't you just be happy? Uh, Like, I mean, yes, you want to win. Right, well... But if you can't win without cheating, build a better deck. You know, like, like study the game more. You know, learn... Like, teach yourself. Don't, like, just take an easy way out. It seems so stupid to me. I don't know. I've never understood the concept. I used to play this kid at Yu-Gi-Oh! when I was living in Texas. And, I mean, he was autistic, to be fair. So maybe there was something going on where he didn't know any better but to, like, try to cheat. But he would stack his deck. I would watch him stack his deck. And then I would be like, okay, let me cut. And he'd go, no. Like, you have to let me cut your deck. No, I don't. Okay, then I'd pack my cards up and leave. Like, when you want to play fair, let me know, because I just saw you stack your deck. I don't care how casual this is. You know, I'm not going to let you cheat. I'm not going to do that. I'm like, this is a game. We're hanging out at lunch, playing a game, and you have to cheat against me? Like, build a better deck, you asshole. You know, like, (laughs) it just used to make me so mad. That whole concept drives me insane. I guess maybe I've just been an honest person my whole life. So This is what actually, this is from what... I've heard and from what I've read, there's a little bit of disparity between the accounts that were presented on the official site and then from what everybody who was there, including... I mean, actually, I haven't seen Gindy's official account of it yet, but, I've, but people who were there, his friends, trying to say what happened, and it, this sounds a lot more, um, more likely, um, essentially what it was was Gindy misunderstood Master of the Wild Hunt and how it worked. 
and his opponent understood it. And what ended up happening in the game was entirely legal, entirely everything happened. And at the end of the game, Gindi questioned something. Now, I'm, actually, instead of me generalizing, I'll, I'll tell you more detail. His opponent has... First read Master of the Wild okay. Hunt. Master of the Wild Hunt is a 3-3 for two green and two colorless. Um, at the beginning of your upkeep, put a 2-2 green wolf creature token onto the battlefield. Um, you can tap Master of the Wild Hunt to tap all untapped wolf creatures you control. Each wolf tapped this way deals damage equal to its power to target creature. That creature deals damage equal to its power divided as its controller chooses among any number of those wolves. Of those wolves. The wolves that tapped. So now this is why it's relevant. His opponent has a 2-2 in play. Gindi has Master of the Wild Hunt and I believe two wolves. One of the wolves is a 3-3 three, three. but it just came into play I think he just put it into play and he tapped his Oren Reef to put a counter on it I, I may be mixing a part of this up but the important part is Gindi attacks with with one of the wolves in fact he might have had three wolves in play two were two twos and one was a 3-3 three, three. Um, he attacked with the two two twos and then bef before combat or before blockers tapped Master of the Wild Hunt to use his ability, which tapped the one untapped wolf, which is, was a 3-3, three, three, uh, to deal damage equal to its power to his opponent's blocker. Well, not blocker, his opponent's one creature. So what would happen in the game is the 3-3 three, three wolf taps, does three damage to the 2-2, two, two, and the 2-2 two, two now does damage equal to its power, divided as he wants among any number of those wolves, the wolves that tapped to... to uh, to play the ability, which is just that one three three. Right. So, which, he can't kill. which right, he can't kill. So two damage went to it, but nobody said anything. Nothing happened. He, the opponent, put his two two in the graveyard, and the game continued on. Gindi thought he didn't realize that it was to any number of those wolves. He thought it was any of his wolves. So he thought his opponent could have done two damage to one of his other wolves, killing them, but it didn't happen. So he thought he got away with something. He thought, oh wow, he didn't he didn't do that. He didn't deal damage to my wolf. He, just nothing was said. That's the problem. There was no... His, his opponent, understanding the situation, just put his card in the graveyard. Right. So, so then what happened is, at the end of the game, Gindi asked his opponent, Hey, why didn't you use your two damage to kill one of my other wolves? And his opponent asks him what he means, and whatever the ensuing conversation was, whatever kind of confusion resulted, they called a judge... The judge apparently determined through whatever questions he asked that Gindi thought he got away with something, that Gindi knew that there was some interaction and didn't point it out. And even though he was wrong, apparently that's cheating. And so he was disqualified. So that is ridiculous. I mean, I'm not sure... It seems like an honest mistake. He misunderstood the card. He, the game was over, and it actually did not affect the game one bit. It, also, it could have been a situation where he didn't realize... This becomes the, the question of the may ability and the must ability. You know, I feel like even if the ability on Master of the Wild Hunt were... You know, you can do that damage among any number of wolves, and he could have targeted one of the tutus and killed it and he missed it, that's his fault. That's his misplay. That's the opponent missing something that would have given him an advantage. I think this BS about having to point things out to your opponent, oh, hey, 
do you, your angel of despair has to kill one of my things. Like, if you didn't notice, and that's your adv- an advantage to you, that's your fault. That's your misplay. I don't really feel that it's right to put the responsibility on the other player to, to point that out, and then they get disqualified for cheating. That's ridiculous. That's just as terrible. That's a terrible set of circumstances. Now, th- the point is, you're playing to win. You're playing, and if a situation arises where your opponent misses something and it is an advantage to you to point it out, then obviously you point it out. But if they miss it, that's their fault. I feel like that applies to anything. That's their mistake, not your mistake. My point is that you're playing to win. You need to pay attention to what you're doing and what your opponent's doing. But I don't feel like it's right to force players to point out their opponent's mistakes. He wasn't even. It wasn't even a mistake. That's the uh, that's the worst part of it. It is. It wasn't even a mistake. He he was talking. You know, chit chatting after the after the match or even after the game. I'm not really sure what game of the match it was. It's sort of irrelevant. But he was just talking, just like a lot of people talk to their opponents. Oh, you know, you know, that one point you could have actually done this. You know, you you could have. You know, I knew you had this in your hand and you didn't use it or something. You know, you just talk and you know, kind of. Um, just try to point out things that you noticed in the game. It's just kind of a friendly, friendly thing. Right. For the fact is, an opponent called a judge. I mean, I guess it's worlds and everything. But what? Why would you call a? Ju- that's that seems shady. Now I feel like I've lost respect for the person who called the judge based on what I know of the situation. The fact that he thought he could get an edge by calling a judge, and then of course did. Even did, if you knew his name, I don't want you to mention it on our podcast. Uh, I, I don't want to promote him. As no, a, no, I'm, but I, I don't. I don't know his name, and uh, I don't even know if this situation, as I understand it, is the truth. But that is how I understand it, and m- my opinion on it is just that you should not have to point out your opponent's mistakes. Uh, plain and simple, you need to notice the things that happen in the game. And if your opponent misses something and that's an advantage to you, then that is not your fault. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I mean, that just seems ridiculous. Right. I don't know. I mean, and, like, and the fact that it didn't affect, didn't actually affect anything in the game. It didn't change the game even state. Even if Master of the Wild Hunt said any number of of wolves, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy deals two damage to the three three wolf. Like, it's not my business to tell the player what the optimum play is, exactly. I feel. Like, if that was the choice he would have made if the card said what what, um, what Gindy thought the card said, even if it said that, the guy deals two damage to the 3-3 three, three wolf, you're not going to go, well, why don't you kill one of my wolves? It yeah. sounds really dumb. It sounds like, I mean, I want to I wanna double check now and see what the, like, what the story is, but... Yeah, definitely read about it, um... You can read what Wizard said happened. You can read Wizard's coverage of it. Then um, there was a post on MTG Salvation forums from Callie Anderson, who whose husband was on the national team. And also, I believe there was an article on Channel Fireball by, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, Zayam Beg, I think is his name. And actually, it might not even be him, but I'm pretty sure he was the one who wrote the article. And I think he describes the situation as he understands it. He may have gotten it from the MTG Salvation post as well uh, by Callie Anderson. Anyway, kind of look into it. Um, I'll try to post a link in the show notes uh, so that you can read about it. But my my bottom line is that it doesn't seem to me that it was anything intentional at all. He wouldn't have brought... If he thought he got away with something, 
that you was have brought it up. Yeah, that was actually cheating. That's not cheating. You know, if if you, it's not cheating if you're, well. It's not cheating, period. <laughs> yeah. I, it's not cheating. We disagree with the decision, 100%. Right. So, I mean... And I'm, even if even if he cheated, like, even if he just stacked his deck, dropped two lands in one turn, and said go, like, I still don't feel like the whole team should have been disqualified. That agreed. alternate should have been allowed to go in before the whole team is disqualified. Now, if you don't have an alternate, like if a second person dis gets disqualified, okay, the whole or, team's disqualified. You know what I mean? Like, Right, or if the alternate isn't there for right. some reason. I guess that's just, you know, crummy luck. But at least it, I just feel like something needs to be changed. Definitely. I understand their point, but that that is way too much. Now, I think a lot of people are saying, and I can see their point here too, uh, that it had, a lot of this decision had to do with the result of Pro Tour Austin, which I believe you knew about how with Kibler, uh, Kibler in the quarterfinals the and the, exactly what I brought up earlier, you know, the Angel of Despair comes into play and never kills anything, and Kibler thinks it's a May ability, um, isn't going to point it out, and he, he wins. Now, that was a situation where, um, where there was no disqualification or anything. Uh, a similar situation. Now, and, and so he was playing against a Hypergenesis player who didn't kill anything with Angel of Despair. Right, Angel of Despair came into play <laughs> along with multiple other creatures, and because of the other interactions happening, apparently Kibler's opponent forgot about the Angel of Despair trigger. If um, Kibler noticed it, didn't want to point it out, because obviously it's a disadvantage, and he believed, according to his, uh, what he said, according to his account, Kibler believed that it was a May ability, meaning, you know, uh, the controller may destroy target permanent. Um, and so, thinking that, he wasn't going to read the card to kind of draw attention to it, and, and I totally agree with that. And I agree he shouldn't have been disqualified. It wasn't cheating. It was oppon his opponent missing a trigger. That should have been obvious, being that he was playing Angel of Despair in Hypergenesis. Right. Uh, anyway. That's a mistake, a misplay, made by the player who's had an Angel of Despair, and I'm sure he feels the same way. I'm sure the player is like, how could I forget that? He's slapping his forehead every time he thinks about it. Sure, um, yeah, that would be. He's not thinking, why did Kibler cheat? I mean, if he is, I think he's got the wrong mindset, but uh, that's, again, irrelevant. I feel like it's a misplay by, the, by a player, and it cost him the game, and that's it. It wasn't cheating on Kibler's part. and So, again, a similar circumstance. In this case, the only difference is that well, there's a couple differences, but one of the main differences is that Master of the Wild Hunt was a card being played by Gindy, and Gindy was the one who misunderstood it. True. Oddly enough, if he just, whether he misunderstood it or not, if he just hadn't said anything, nothing would have happened. Um, and if he had just understood his card, nothing would have happened. And it, everything that happened in the game was fine. Right. Everything. I feel like that's another case to be made. It happened off the field, you know, when when the clock ran out, you know, I mean, I'm using sports analogies, but, you well, know... This is an episode this, full of them, apparently. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this happened afterwards, after the game. It's irrelevant. I think that that's... I, I just feel like anything you say outside of a game, I don't think that that should be... Uh, should 
be relevant to a disqualification either. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe and people we might get a ton of feedback on this, which is great. So uh, yeah, I, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of feedback on the cheating thing, and people might. Uh, there's I'm sure there's the, the you know players are divided on what they feel happened here. Um, I just don't feel like players should be obliged to make plays for their opponents, to point out play, misplays by their opponents, and I, I, just, I just don't think that that should be the case. And I also don't think that entire team should have been disqualified because of the actions of one player, whether those actions were uh, blatant cheating or accidentally chit-chatting after an event. Right. Or after so the, a match. So the rule. So what to learn from this? Don't talk to your opponent after a match. Right. I guess. Apparently. Yeah. Well, first, definitely understand how your cards work. That's actual good advice. Yes. Make sure you understand interactions. Yes. And also, it's good to communicate during the game what actually happened. Like the whole thing would have been solved if he he would have said to his opponent, "Where are you dealing your two damage?" And his opponent could have said, "The three three and then nothing would have happened. He might have said, why did you do that to the 3-3? And his opponent said, I could only do it to the 3-3. At least it would have been clear. Uh, I guess just the, the clear communication would have made the difference, and, and that probably would have kept him from being disqualified, although I just don't think he should have been disqualified in the first place. Now, off the uh, cheating disqualification thing, there were a couple other players disqualified. I haven't heard the stories behind those yet. Um, I believe there were three other disqualifications, or at least two, on day two. Something to do with drafting, looking at another player's cards somehow, either during the draft or while they were shuffling or something hmm. like that. That's more information you can find on, on Wizards' site. Back to the kind of standard discussion. Surprise, Jund was the most played deck with about 34% of the field. A third of the field was Jund, and um, I, I thought it was kind of funny. LSV did a video deck tech and in it he said he did everything in his power not to play Jund but he played Jund uh, he obviously felt it was the best deck um, Tim said Tim said uh, the fir- like one of the first things he said to me when I met up with him on Saturday was well now that LSV's playing Jund can everyone stop calling it a crappy deck <laughs> I don't like, know that anybody's well, calling crappy, it a crappy deck he's like, he's like can everyone stop hating on Jund because you know, LSV's playing it now. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody's going to stop hating on it. <laughs> even even LSV is hating on it, and he's playing it now. Just the fact that you just brought that up, what Tim said, um, it reminded me an article, and I believe it's a premium article on Star City. It's worth getting um, for anybody who doesn't have Star City Premium. Definitely, uh, at least give it a shot for a couple weeks. I think they have a. a you know, a 30-day version or something. But anyway, there's an article by Cedric, Cedric Phillips. I believe the article's called Jun Stinks. And he lays the deck out. He is the, he tells you why it sucks. Um, he makes some interesting points. So Jun was the big deck, of course, of the weekend, followed closely by Boros Bushwhacker. Of course, there were some Nissa decks, El Jazi Green, I guess the typical decks you'd expect to see, some vampires apparently, um, but some of the interesting decks, they did some video deck techs on these. Um, I wrote down some notes on them, but you can check out the videos on the wizard site. One of the decks was a green-white a deck with Amiria Angel, Lotus Cobra, Knight of the Reliquary, Borderland Ranger, Baneslayer, uh, Day of Judgment, Behemoth Sledge. That deck was doing uh, 
is apparently doing pretty well. Conley Woods, his deck was called Magical Christmas Land. <laughs> it was a Jund Landfall deck. Now, he, Jund only because of the colors, really. He ran Lotus Cobra, Harrow, Colony Heart Expedition, a lot of redundancy with the mana ramp. It was basically Jund mana ramp, but he ramped into turn four violent ultimatums. Um, and in the sideboard, he had two islands and four cruel ultimatums. I think it was fantastic. I wish he would have made the top eight. I, I wonder how he would have done. He only lost one match on day one. That's the only standard day besides the top eight, which he didn't make it. He didn't make the top eight. But on day one, he lost one match, and it was because, I believe, one game he mulliganed to five and just you know just lost because he didn't couldn't catch up. Uh, the other game he mulliganed to five again, started kind of catching up, and then got either double or triple blightninged. Um, that's going to kill anybody. So I, I think, you know, he was as close to undefeated as you can get, basically only defeated by the fact that his opponent drew three blightnings and that he had to mulligan uh, to five twice. So um, that deck really looked, looked like a fun deck to play. Um, Standard Dredge was present, the Crypt of Agadim deck that mills yourself and plays, you know, Hedron Crab and then a billion unearthed guys. I see a card on your notes here, Immortal Coil. Yeah. I can't remember what it does. I know it says something about sacrificing something to draw a card. Or what it is, is whenever you are dealt damage, um, prevent it and remove a card in your graveyard from the game. When you have no cards in your a graveyard, remove a card for each damage. Oh, for each for, one for, damage. Each one okay, damage. I was like, each time you're dealt damage? Right. Wow. Sorry. sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah, that would be really that good. card played a year ago? That's kind of ridiculous. It, it's, I believe it's two black and two colorless. It's an mm -hmm. artifact. Whenever you're dealt damage for each damage, you remove a card in your graveyard from the game. And when you have no cards left in your graveyard, you lose. So with the standard uh, dredge deck, with so many cards in the graveyard you're able to basically stall any any damage isn't going to really hurt you very much you know you've got so many cards in the graveyard against any kind of aggro deck they're stuck just removing cards from your graveyard and not actually winning the game or doing any damage to you so i thought that was a really neat really neat tech yeah, i thought it was interesting seeing it on your list alone i was like holy crap really immortal <laughs> coil is on a page that says worlds at the top of it that doesn't <laughs> right. make any sense to me some of the interesting cards played this weekend that people might not have expected were Emiria Angel. Emiria Angel was completely off the radar. Nobody was talking about it. When it was spoiled, a lot of people thought it was a good card. I'm sure a lot of people shot it down. I thought it was a neat card, and I just forgot about it. Like, I kept seeing it and going, yeah, 3-3 three, three flyer for 4. That's, that's good. I mean, that's decent. And Landfall, it puts out a 1-1. One, one. Pretty neat. Um, Anything that makes creature tokens for the most part, will eventually be played, it seems. Right. Especially if the card that makes those tokens is a land. Yeah, so I think, I want to say a lot of people forgot about it, but at the same time, obviously a lot of people were thinking of it because it was played in several decks over the weekend. It's probably the card of the tournament that increased in value more than any other. Uh, I believe you can get them. Before Worlds, you could have got them at about a dollar each. I'm not sure how much they are now, but they were sold out on MTGO, according to what I've read. Quickly, by, by Friday, I, I think they were sold out, Friday or Saturday morning. It was uh, really hard to find them. 
And so, I mean, I'm I'm gonna guess it's around five bucks now. I'm not sure. Um, those full art game day ones are probably pretty pretty expensive now, but it's a it's a card to look at and it's a card to pick up if you can find people still valuing them at a dollar each. Um, another one is Avon Mimeomancer, which we've seen in a few decks. Um, it's a blue white. 3-1 bird that, I guess, what is it, every every upkeep you can put a counter put on a, a creature? a feather counter. A feather counter. Um, <laughs> put a feather counter on target creature, and that creature is 3-1 flying. just becomes a 3-1 flyer. I believe it, it still retains its abilities, so it just its power and toughness become 3-1, and it gains flying if it didn't already have it. But, um, I mean, that's a way to make a Baneslayer kind of a little less threatening when it becomes suddenly 3-1 first strike lifelink flying protection from demons and dragons and dungeons and dragons and bears and oh my <laughs> I want to play a deck with Avon Mimeomancer just so I can carry around a little bag of feathers with me <laughs> and put them out like, you mean a pillow yeah a pillow exactly you carry a pillow around carry a pillow around pe- feathers out of it so uh, another interesting deck from worlds was Joel Calafell's mill deck he called it Jacerator he designed it with the help of Kenny Oberg, who designed Tesserator, which was the extended deck that it did pretty well um, a couple months ago. And Essentially, that won the extended match in the it finals, right? Did it, oh, oh, well, there was a, it was a Tesseret deck in extended in the team finals, but it was um, I'm not sure. I didn't watch that part of the team finals. I was kind of distracted while that was happening, and it was live. I couldn't pause it, but I'm going to check it out later. But yeah, there was a Tesseret deck. Um, in the f- team finals, and it had the Sword of the Meek Thopter Foundry combo in it, so I'm not sure if it was actually Tesserator. It might have been more a, a Sword of the Meek Thopter Foundry combo deck um, with Tesseret to kind of search up pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but this deck is basically Turbo Fog, runs tons of fogs, uh, Howling Mine, Font of Mythos, Jace. Um, it runs Sunspring Expedition, which uh, nobody is playing it's is the expedition that gains, that gains eight life, eight life. he's wow. like it's it's like another fog yeah i mean it's it is it's just it sits there and it's just like an extra fog so i mean that's a really interesting way to to put it um he ran flash freeze main four of them and uh kabira crossroads which he comes th- to play tap comes in, life exactly he he uh was saying that that card was just was one of the most important cards in the deck just the fact that it comes into play tap gains two life it's kind of negating one of their attack steps early. Um, I felt like he said something else interesting about it, and now I'm having trouble remembering what it was. But just the fact that here's this deck, it's entirely... I think it was the only one in the tournament that was like this at all, and he was undefeated on day one. Archive Trap was in there. It just completely milled the other player. And another interesting deck, standard deck, was run by Hall of Famer Rob Doherty who ran a mono-white deck, a white weenie deck, right? No, that's not anything crazy about that. Um, it only had 16 lands. 16 lands. That's kind of cutting it close. 16 lands for a mono-white, or a white weenie deck. Okay, I can see that. But eight of them were fetch lands. I was pleasantly shocked, I have to say, when I saw that. I was like, wow, that is ballsy. Yeah. I mean, he's basically running eight lands in the deck. I mean, the, the, the fetch lands get the other... To get the planes out, but it's eight planes, eight fetch lands, a whole bunch of one drops, a whole bunch of two drops, Honor of the Pure, um, extremely aggressive. It had uh, Core Hookmaster in it, and uh, Elspeth, I believe those were the top of the curve. I don't remember what Core Hookmaster does. Do you remember what Core Hookmaster does? I think when does? it comes into play, it taps down a creature. 
Um, when it enters the battlefield, tap target creature and opponent controls. That creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So yeah, you were right. Um, and that costs three, which is almost half the lands in the deck. Um, <laughs> yeah, another card in the deck was Brave the Elements, which since Zendikar was spoiled, people keep looking at that and highlighting it as a good card. This weekend, um, it seemed to be showing up in some more decks. It's essentially a counterspell. When you're playing a deck with so many creatures, most of the spells that uh, your opponents are going to be playing are going to be targeting your creatures. So playing Brave the Elements is like a counterspell for any kind of targeted removal. Not only that, but you can make all your creatures gain protection from whatever color they've got on board and just swing in unblocked for the win. But that's, that's a card to definitely keep in mind. Um, so yeah, I think the, we've gone through everything in my notes here. I just want to mention one thing real quick. Mm -hmm. I finally purchased a deck of Plane Chase on Saturday, the Zombie Empire deck, because it had some cards that could round out my Balthor the Defiled EDH deck, which doesn't run minions, it runs zombies. But I also kind of wanted the planes to support my EDH deck in case we decide to mix Plane Chase and EDH. Um, haven't had much time to test it in a multiplayer environment, but so far, early returns on Plane Chase is it's kind of crazy. And, um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here giving a quick review of Plane Chase, like how many months after it came out, but <laughs> I haven't had money. It took me that long to find a place that had it at the same time that I had money, and it helped that the place that had it was also supposed to pay me money at the end of the day okay, so yeah. I just subtracted that money from my pay to get the plane chase but I'm going to do some have some fun with some plane chase and some EDH and I'm, I want to mention it after I do it in another episode talk a little bit about plane chase and about its impact on EDH and the applications things like that sounds good um, we did want to mention, just for the curious, the music that we've been using in our episodes. What was episode one? Episode one, I used Still Tippin' by Slim Thug, Mike Jones, and Paul Wall. Um, it was... when Here we go, mentioning Mike Flores again. Mike Flores <laughs> mentioned something on Facebook about Lotus Cobra, when Lotus Cobra was first spoiled. And I went off on a tangent about rampaging baloths and all these things and I wanted to make a deck called Tippin' on Four Fours which is kind of the chorus of the song that we used for our first podcast um, and I posted the screwed and chopped version of the music video uncensored as a link in a comment on Mike Flores's Facebook which I just thought was really funny because I wanted could probably count the people who play Magic on one hand that give a crap about Slim Thug, Mike Jones, and or Paul Wall. But anyway, episode two... Was of Montreal, uh, and I'm trying to remember the name of the song. <laughs> I believe it was ID Engager, and I'm going to find out right now. That was it. Great. <laughs> that, that was it. <laughs> so, uh... Of Montreal, ID Engager. Um, I just like that song, and I like how he screams at the beginning. And it says, I just want to play with you. Yeah, in the chorus, he says he, he just wants to play with you. So I figured, you know, play, game. That, that was, I think, kind of 
serendipity there because I didn't really that wasn't the intention I think beforehand it was really just hey he said that also cool um, episode 3 was Suki in the Graveyard by Bell and Sebastian which you know the topic was about a Baneslayer being in the graveyard and coming back with the cruel ultimatum so I thought you know Suki in the Graveyard was a little appropriate um, and then episode 4 was Metric the song was Combat Baby I thought I, I have that in my MTG playlist I have a playlist that basically all it is is uh, songs whose titles somehow have something to do with magic. Um, Combat Baby, Black by Pearl Jam, you know. Um, Blue on a Black Weekend by Travis, that's another good one. <laughs> well, it's got two colors there. Um, All the Angels Want to wear, wear My Red Shoes by Elvis Costello, another good one. <laughs> the Beast and Dragon Adored by Spoon, I'm going to use that one soon. I love that song. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, lots of... Uh, just magic references somehow in the title. Uh, we Okay, I just want to put this out there. I wrote, I didn't record yet, but I wrote a verse for our, um, for a Yo! MTG Taps theme song in a way. Um, we're not going to use it for every episode because we like picking new songs every week, but one week we're going to have once this helicopter goes by... <laughs> We're right here! Just land the damn thing! What? <laughs> so anyway. So I wrote a verse for Yo! MTG Taps rap. And once Joe gets his verse down and we come up with a chorus and I write some music for it, we'll get it out in two years. Right, no. episode 100 special. Yeah, <laughs> like, but when we do that, we're going to include as a bonus an MP3 of the song for download, I think. Because, I mean, that's because we don't want to do it every episode, but if you like the song, you can either listen to the one episode over and over again to hear it or just download the damn MP3, which seems a lot easier. Yeah, a little, a little easier. So that'll be fun. I, I've gotten, I've, I've read the rap to people, and people have given me good reviews. So, um, so your blog, my blog. What about it? What happened? Well, you want to talk about it? You want to like mention what the www address is? There is no www address because oh. it's otherworldlyjourney.blogspot.com, um, and your blog, which had an an article featured on oh, yeah. The Week in Magic on Mananation.com. That's right. I, I definitely got a shout-out to, uh, to Trick Jarrett of Mananation. He, every week he puts out um, an article on Fridays called This Week in Magic, basically highlighting the articles that he felt uh, were worth reading over the week. And I was surprised when I clicked on it that last Monday... There were two articles. One was Rise of the Eldrazi on the main site, the uh, the announcement, and the other one was a b article I wrote on my blog called Power Versus Consistency. So um, I was shocked and you know really happily surprised. Um, didn't even know he was reading, but he apparently is. So yeah, pretty, pretty awesome. And if you go to that um, to the Week in Magic um, from last week, he listed a whole bunch of blogs, including the two of ours. Right. Um, your blog is... Affinityforislands.com. And you can check that out, but he listed a whole bunch of different magic blogs, um, that yeah. you can check out. So, I mean, there's just, that page alone, there are endless resources for you to use. Right. Uh, and so I thought that was really helpful to compile all the blogs. I mean, mtgcast.com has like four listed in their blog section you yeah. know which you know it's awesome to have ours be 
half of them. Right, Which right. is kind of cool, but um, it makes me feel like I should be updating my blog a little more frequently, but anyway... <laughs> Um, but it was neat to see so many different blogs listed, mm-hmm. you know, on that site. I thought that was really neat to have them all compiled into that list. So if you check that out, well, what is it? Is there a specific it, uh, link? Well, or? just go to mananation.com. And um, look for the Week in Magic number right, four. This Week in Magic. This Week in Magic number right. four. And it has a list of a bunch of different blogs you can read. Definitely. Um, so uh, thanks for the uh, shout-out, Trick. Thanks for the recommendation. Um what else? You can email us at yomtgtaps at gmail.com. You can leave comments on the podcast on, uh, on MTGCast. There's, there's a room for comments. There's a room. There's a room <laughs> you step into and you're like, I want to say something to yomtgtaps. Exactly. Can I say something? Where is everybody? No, but... Um, yes, there's, there's space for comments. Yes. You can follow us on Twitter at yomtgtaps. That's twitter.com slash yomtgtaps. Uh, also, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash affinityforblue. Um, you can follow Mike Flores on Twitter <laughs> at twitter.com slash fivewithflores. How many mentions is that, Mike? <laughs> uh, I guess that's it. I guess. All right, enjoy whatever music we decide to put here at the end. And remember, if you're ever playing golf and you're stuck um, in a sand trap and you need to... Uh, get out of the sand trap um maybe you should play tennis get what you deserve.